Good evening. Thank you all for inviting me to come tonight. Um, I'm going to try and say quite a bit in 15 minutes, and then again, I may not say that much. I'm not sure. I do want to talk about the uh, war economy. That's my assigned topic for the evening. Uh, but like all things, uh, Benedictines are supposed to start everything with a prayer. So I just want to start with a little short prayer. Today in the Catholic tradition that I am in, uh, it is also Trinity Sunday, and this prayer does mention the members of the Holy Trinity. <coughs> so let us pray. Father, your truth is made known in your word. Guide us to seek the truth of the human person. Teach us the way to love because we are love. Jesus, you embody love and truth. Help us to recognize your face in the poor. Enable us to live out our vocation to bring love and justice to your people. Holy Spirit, you inspire us to transform our world. Empower us to seek the common good for all persons. Give us a spirit of solidarity Make us one human family. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, on the war economy, I'm not an expert, and I haven't talked about on this subject uh, recently. But I thought I would just throw out a few uh, rather random ideas. This isn't in any particular order, I'm afraid. Um, it's been a busy week. So... Um, <clears throat> Um, I think we already got one big question out of the way, is how much do we spend for the war effort in this country? And all the spending money really comes from uh, taxes that American people pay. Um, we know that it's uh, about $600 billion. I think that is what Nick said uh, earlier in, in the uh, dining room. Um, and uh, actually, it, it, there's a few more things we can add on to that. And 600 billion is more than I can comprehend. It's not a number I use every day. I'm not even familiar with billions. And I've seldom seen billion even written out. Um, so sometimes you might want to think about how much is one billion. This is 600 billions. We spend half of what all the world spends on the military. All of the world military expenditures, half of them are made by the United States, which seems totally unnecessary to me, anyway. Uh, we know our current president has asked us to move that amount on up to 700 billion. Maybe that's the number. Where'd it go? Is that, what, is that, is that what you said? Now we're up to 700 billion uh, for uh, the coming year. And in addition to that, there's another 80, 185 billion that goes to the Department of Veteran Affairs, and that's for veteran benefits and for health care for veterans, which um, even that huge amount is it not, doesn't seem to be reaching all of those in need. We know that. Uh, we have the Veterans Department, and it can be considered a war expense as part of the war economy because it is, in fact, uh, if we weren't at war, we wouldn't have veterans, we wouldn't have this huge military uh, standing force that we have now. So uh, where does all the money go that, uh, you know, what do you do? Where do you put $700 billion? We also know there's a slush fund the Pentagon has of about $64 billion, and they do not actually seem to ever account for the, that $64 billion. Uh, 
um, it was created to fund the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, but I think that fund is still coming every year, and uh, we don't know kind of where all of that goes. Uh, we do know that about half of the Pentagon's budget goes to military contractors like Lockheed Martin, in other words, great big manufacturing companies that are, some of them are here in the Midwest, but a lot of them are in, uh, we don't have so many here in Kansas, Nebraska. These states are kind of military contract poor uh, compared to the economies of some of the other states. I think California is one of the biggest ones. I believe Virginia is also very large, and so are a few of the other southern states, I think. They make the airplanes, the tanks, the rifles, the guns, the bullets, the, the, the uniforms, the this and the that's. That's all done out on contract. The government itself does not run the, any of those factories, I don't think. Uh, and about half the budget goes that towards them. And most of it goes towards the really big airplanes and towards the nuclear uh, uh, rearming uh, re effort, re keeping the nuclear weapons that we now have, keeping them up to date. and supposedly uh, making them even more powerful or less powerful, but changing them all the time. Uh, Northrop Grunin is another one, Rayathon. There are others that uh, build those uh, airplanes. Airplanes and, and ships are extremely expensive to build. And if you ever want to check out on one of them that's been a horrible program, it's called the F-35. It's still not in use. It's an airplane, and it's supposed to be a fighter jet, I believe. And they've been working on it now for, I think, more than 12 years, and they haven't got yet a model that actually works. It has so many computers in it doing so many fancy things that they can't get them all to work at the same time. And yet they've spent a tremendous amount of money on that, just that one new kind of newly designed airplane. So uh, we do outspend the next seven countries that spend a lot of money on weapons. They are China which you might expect, Saudi Arabia, Russia, the United Kingdom, India, France, and Japan. They actually have pretty big budgets too, but even we spent, for every dollar China spent on the military, the U.S. spends at least three dollars. So there's no way they're ever going to catch us in spending. A couple more quick things. Um, let's see. As I said, I didn't have this put together too, too well. Some people believe that all of these um, military equipment and uh, building all these military pieces of hardware are going to create a lot of jobs. They do create some jobs, but we know they are not really efficient job creators and that a lot more jobs would be created if the money instead was used uh, for things like uh, education and health care and home weatherization and water systems and roads and better sewer systems and all the other kinds of things that we know uh, it's called infrastructure, you know, the bridges and, and the roads and all of this. And we know we're a little bit starved now for money for that. And I understand, I think they had on the news yesterday, a lot of property taxes are going up. The taxes people who are homeowners are going to pay on their houses. and. Uh, it's uh, partly because the money is going other places and now they, the city doesn't have enough money. And so they're raising property taxes to keep the schools and other uh, services going. War spending actually creates fewer jobs than if it was invested on clean energy and public education and health care. 
another problem with the, with a lot of our military spending is some of it is uh, we don't necessarily stay out of the red on this spending. In other words, a lot of it is borrowed money that we're spending to keep the war economy going. And there, it creates higher interest rates then for people who do need to borrow. Like if you want to buy a home, uh, you've got to borrow money to do that. And it makes your interest rate higher somehow. Not sure I can explain all that. But it, it creates some problems in, in that area too. Um, uh, if, if you believe in the Pentagon and in having a military, and a great number of Americans do, a few of us don't, however, um, but if you believe in having one, then really their budget should be determined by what is needed to defend the United States. And that is not what we have. We have soldiers located in, what, 80 countries in the world, of the 120 countries in the world? They've got American troops in them already. You know, we've got people all over. You know, we're paying for all this. Um, it shouldn't just be some arbitrary figure of how much the wealthy people in the United States think we ought to pay for the military, and that's kind of the way it's determined now, it seems. Um, we thought it would level off, the, uh, the military spending. In fact, it, uh, every, uh, historically in this country, we stopped uh, spending on the military after every war until we got up to World War II. Even after World War I, in the early 20th century, uh, we cut way back on the military budget after World War I. After World War II, we did not. We cut back somewhat, but we still uh, maintained quite a lot because almost immediately we thought we had that uh, huge uh, you know, thing to be afraid of called communism, uh, particularly in Eastern Europe, and that we needed to rearm Europe and part of it and so on. Um, does, um, let's see here. I left out a couple things, but that's all right. Uh, I just found that it, they, uh, one of a trillion dollars is being used right now to update these nuclear weapons, and they're having that action uh, tomorrow. And Henry Stover is here, and so is Tom Fox. They're both going to be arrested tomorrow uh, at this action where right here in Kansas City, Missouri, we make uh, a great part of nuclear weapons. 80, 85%, I think Henry was saying. I didn't realize it was that much. I didn't know that till tonight. But the factory's been here quite a while. We don't make the nuclear uh, radioactive, the radioactive parts we do not make here uh, in Kansas City, but they make the rest of the components of the bomb, including the triggers. And I think they make a lot of the plastic parts also at this factory that's at the south end of Kansas City, and uh, Henry or Tom can tell you where it is. I, I've not been there, and I don't know quite exactly where it is. It almost butts up, I think, against the Kansas line. So it's a very uh, local kind of a thing. <clears throat> um, I wanted to give you, uh, before I close here, just a few things on, uh, and oh, I got one more thing about the economy I'll get back to. Um, the Catholic Church, as some of you know, has principles on a whole lot of issues. Uh, principles are like the ideals. It doesn't mean we ever quite get to them. But if we don't know the ideals, how do we know what to strive for, you know, and what to try and improve our lives towards and improve our society toward? So uh, at all social levels, uh, the Catholic Church has quite a bit to say. Uh, sometimes we call it ethics, or there's other words that we use too. Sometimes we call it Catholic social. 
teaching if it pertains to the social organization of a society. So <clears throat> uh, these are, uh, I, d I do a whole class or a series of classes on these, so I'm just going to read what they are because obviously tonight we won't go into these in any detail, but there's a lot of detail on each one and the ramifications of it for the U.S. of A. <clears throat> this one is specifically, this set is, is written with the, this country in mind, okay? Uh, the economy exists to serve the human person and not the other way around. Okay, we are not supposed to serve the almighty dollar. It is supposed to serve us as human beings. The economy, <clears throat> economic life should be shaped by moral principles and ethical norms. Now, isn't that logical? To me, any, if you stop and think about it, that ought to be true. But that's one of the areas, I think, of American life where there's probably the least amount, perhaps, sometimes, of uh, actual practice of moral principles and ethical norms. Economic choices should be measured by whether they enhance or threaten human life, human dignity, and human rights. Those are very, very important things. See, as just coming from the Catholic point and, and a whole lot of other Christian points too go right along with this, of course, is that because Jesus came as a human being, therefore all humanity is elevated, right? And God made all of creation, and so it's all of creation is important, okay? And so we need to enhance human life. We never want to put down human life. And this is what poverty and racism and so many of these other evils that are out there in the world right now are trying to do. That's what sin is. You know, Some of the older people here have heard that word a lot more in their lifetime, perhaps, than maybe younger people, maybe not. I don't, I don't know um, what all your backgrounds are, which I don't need to know. But it just it's kind of logical, right, that... You know, if Jesus became a human being, that means all humans. Okay, there's something special there going on, okay? And you can define it slightly differently in different traditions. But hey, you know, we're all a piece of the action now uh, if we want to talk about God that way. So we absolutely have to work to enhance human life and human dignity and human rights. And that means everybody, including the handicapped and the children and the... You know, everybody that often gets overlooked today. Fundamental concern must be support for the family and the well-being of children. This is a very, very basic teaching of, in the Catholic Church. It's always family first kind of stuff. You know, it's really got to be the family. It's got to be the children. You know, and so we should make our economic decisions based on how that's going to play out for them. How does it all affect women, you know? Anyway, I'm getting off the military part just a wee bit here. The moral measure of any economy is how the weakest are faring. So who's the weakest in your society, in your economy? You know, and you ask how, that's your moral measure. How are they faring? You know, and if the poor are getting poorer, um, there's something wrong with the whole economic system. And of course, that is what we're seeing today in this country. And more and more people, especially young people, are having such a hard time, as you know, getting on their feet, getting going. Uh, I want to say one thing about making military weapons here before I stop. Because uh, <clears throat> um, if you make another tank or another big jet fighter that's going to deliver bombs, 
uh, or if you make a bunch of uh, those other new ones, what are they, <laughs> you know, the uh, unmanned drones. <laughs> drones, the drones, okay. <laughs> Let's say you're making some of this kind of thing. Uh, it's fine, uh, and it, it employs somebody, makes an income while that's being produced. Okay, there's a factory job there, and there's an administrative job for the factory workers. Okay, so there's that going on, and the designers and so on. But after it's made, then it has no economic value, okay? And that's the big difference between making another tank and making another refrigerator or automobile, right? You buy one of those other things, like a car, you're going to do what? You're going to pay taxes on it for as long as you have it. You're going to have it repaired. You're going to use supplies like gasoline and perhaps or something else to keep it running. And you're putting stuff back into the economy by using that. In the same way with your refrigerator, even. You know, you're going to use some electricity. You're going to get it repaired sometime, maybe. Uh, you're going to do uh, something else. You know, you're going to eat more efficiently and more healthily because you can refrigerate leftovers and eat them the next day. I mean, you're going to do all kinds of wonderful things for your family if you have a refrigerator. Okay. But that tank or that jet airplane is just going to sit there and rust if it isn't used, when it isn't used. The military seldom does major repair on a lot of their things. They have a lot of parts and stuff, but you read sometimes about how many times there are a lot of parts that never get used because either they don't know how to repair it, the people who are at that location don't know how, or some other reason. I mean, I'm not saying they're doing it on purpose necessarily, but in such a big uh, money flush institution, those things happen and a lot of resources get wasted. Okay, so this is why we don't wanna put our resources into military hardware. I just, I just, I learned that a long time ago and I've always found that such an interesting fact and a helpful fact to think, yeah, you know, don't put the money there because it's not gonna stay circulating in the community. And that's what you want it to have happen for a good economy, I think. Um, I better stop. Enough. Now, I understand you have conversation. <laughs> so, where are we next? Henry's standing up. Yes. yes. Mr. Barber, thank you for your presentation. I would like to ask you individually, what does this war economy do to the individual? How does that affect them spiritually, morally, ethically? I would think that a person would almost have to shut their minds down, partly to get involved in a war economy. What, what do you think? Yeah, you mean like if somebody works in a factory where they're making uh, bullets or tanks, or they make bullets, or they used to out right out here at Sunflower in Kansas, you know, right across the way, between here and Lawrence. There was this big sunflower plant. At least they were really busy in the 60s when I lived out near there. Uh, now the space is contaminated. I think it's been closed down. They can't get the government to clean it up. And now developers, of course, want to use it because it's right uh, not that far from Johnson County. And, uh, you know, you get the picture. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I've, I've tried to talk to a few people who've worked over the decades. I haven't known lots of people highly involved in actually working in the production of weapons and, and war material. But... Um, I, I think it has to have an effect on people. I think, I think if we look at our own soldiers who've come back and who are now in civilian life, 
I remember after the Vietnam War, I didn't meet any, any soldiers, American soldiers, who were not wounded in some way. I was teaching over at Donnelly College at the time, and I was teaching night classes. I had quite a few vets in those night classes. And uh, they're mostly in the inner city, and uh, they're trying to, you know, move forward their lives a little bit. But several of them had been wounded physically, and, and a lot of the rest of them, they, um, I think they had issues. They either haven't yet been able to verbalize and talk about, which can be a healing part of the process when you've gone through trauma, to talk about it and to talk about it repeatedly sometimes can be helpful for some people. But some men or women are much better at articulating their uh, issues, usually. Not always, but sometimes. But a lot of men have a hard time because, you know, they might be a little more out of touch with their feelings just all the time. And so um, for them then to come back from something like an actual uh, uh, fighting experience, killing experience, and that's what a soldier is. A soldier is someone who is trained to kill. That is their definition. And... Um, and many of them do that. And uh, they will, uh, if they survive that experience and they come back, they're going to have to work that through, I, I would think, somehow psychologically, as well as their physical healing that will have to happen. And regaining their health and their stamina. And often trying to rebuild relationships is a huge, huge issue for returning veterans. We know that Fort Leavenworth, not that far from here, very, very high rate of domestic violence in Fort Leavenworth. Okay, because, you know, you've learned to solve problems with violence. That's what the military teaches. And so, you know, when there's marital problems in the household, um, violence might erupt sometimes for some people. So, yeah, it's got its ramifications. I mean, I think our society today is full of, of them. Uh-huh. This lady right here. Yes, and some psychologists are now saying it's because America is on such a heavy war footing all the time, we are ready to go to war at any instant. Uh, it makes people then the same way. You know, they're ready to use guns. Anytime there's a problem they can't solve, an issue they can't deal with, a lot of people, you know, as we've seen with the recent school shootings, is just, just one example of it, I think. Is there someone over here? Huh? Um, for those who might not know, would you be willing to speak to who the Benedictines are? And also oh. what could teach us about this conversation. Oh, well, the motto of the Benedictines is peace, <clears throat> first of all. <laughs> Just to throw that out. Uh, um, I belong to a monastic order. <clears throat> They're both men and women. The men are called monks. The women are called nuns. I am a nun, N-U-N, not the N-O-N that we know so many young people are today. Um, we, um, we have a, a charism of, of community and of prayer. Uh, we do um, also work. We do support ourselves. The official Catholic Church uh, does not support us. Uh, and that's been true historically. And the Benedictines were founded in about um, 480, not 1480, but 480. So we have an extremely ancient tradition and practice. We have a holy rule that was written by our founder, St. Benedict, from which the word Benedictine 
or uh, you know the uh, alcoholic drink called Benedictine, sometimes pronounced that way. It is made by Benedictines, and that's why in Europe, and that's why it is so named. Okay, this, and I think they still make it over there. I think so. Um, I don't know. What else would you like to know about? We're about a hundred in Atchison of us sisters right now. There's also a uh, an abbey of men in the same town, and we have a college up there called Benedictine College, which mostly. Uh, our sisters are, a few are associated with, we're on the board, we aren't really highly involved in the college anymore. What do you think the Benedictine community could teach us about <clears throat> this conver the war economy, peace economy, Well, I, I, we teach people how to pray is mostly what we do. We are considered contemplative, even though we, some of us have worked a lot of jobs. Um, uh, prayer helps us. You know, we got to change ourselves first before we can change the world, in a way. But to me, I've heard that a million times. I really don't like that too well, because I think we do it at the same time. The same time we're trying to grow in our own growth and understanding of God, we also do what we can, you know, to, to change the world. But we have a, a spirituality center uh, right at the monastery uh, nearby, and it has overnight facilities. We can sleep about 30 people there now, I believe, something like that. And uh, we have all kinds of retreats, and people can just come for a day away. There's, we got a whole catalog. It's called Sophia Center. You can Google it and find out the current program. I don't work in that directly myself right now. But uh, uh, there's spiritual. we do a lot of spiritual direction, which helps a lot of people get a grounding in their spiritual life to help them decide what they're going to do with the rest of their life, you know, when they grow up, you know, some of us are still always looking for a new something else we haven't done yet. And so we want to get started, get started doing that. Right, yeah. Saying, or like how, how um, the military targets poor communities um, to recruit? Yeah, they definitely, rec re that's, they're having a very hard time recruiting right now. And uh, people of color and people in low-income uh, zip codes are going to be the ones targeted. And public schools are almost required, I believe, now. They absolutely have to give over the, the emails and the inform uh, contact information for their uh, students so that the military can use that to aim uh, recruiting there. Uh, I would say on the budget thing, the, um, there's a big effort right now that uh, re in the farm bill, which is, I don't know where it is right now because I think the House uh, beat it back uh, recently, but I'm not sure where it is in the Senate at the moment, but the farm bill uh, includes uh, food stamps, okay, and several other programs, some pr food programs for the elderly, and then also it includes the uh, international uh, food relief. And our president wanted to eliminate famine relief totally. And that has never been de even debated or brought up in Congress. It always passes. We always, always, always fund famine relief wherever it is in the world that it happens. And uh, we're one of the bigger the donors in the world probably for that one. But um, uh, that was, they're trying to defeat that completely. They do want to cut food stamps way back and increase seriously, seriously the work requirement 
for anybody on food stamps. And as most of us know, who've ever lived or worked with the poor, or are poor, uh, you know, it's the f they're working as much as they can, and they still need food stamps. You know, so I don't understand how they're ever going to um, enforce that or make it work, because there isn't a very good job training program with food stamps. You know, and yet they maintain you've got to have this great job that's going to support. You know, so you won't need this extra supplement to feed your family, and. Um, the job skill, the training isn't there for the job skills, uh, and sometimes the, the people uh, don't qualify for the training, so often they don't. Um, I grew up next to Wyoming Air Force Base. The family's mm -hmm. like super involved and supportive of military, and people mm -hmm. in the community are very influential, and it's very respected. Um, how would you recommend questioning the war economy or challenging the war economy without coming off as like unappreciative because usually when you start questioning the military or saying like this is wrong, the response mm -hmm. is, well, you're not very grateful of the people who serve for you and you wouldn't be safe or you wouldn't have good life if it wasn't for the military. Yeah, there are no one-liners for those kinds of conversations. I think you have to kind of figure out where the person's coming from a little bit. See, there's uh, many, many families have lost it through death, someone through military action. Certainly my own family has. So. Um, you know, we don't know where people are coming from, you know, on the military issue. And so when we're doing anti-recruiting efforts, for instance, it's just one thing, you know, where we're not trying to promote the military economy anymore, we're trying to uh, cut it back. Then I think we have to deal, uh, you know, you just deal carefully, you know, and you just say, well, I'm, I, you know, I certainly, you know, uh, I believe thoroughly in veterans benefits. We can talk about that, how you support programs for benef uh, veterans to be rehabilitated, to be get whatever they need, you know, whether it's the job or the job training or the psychiatric help or the physical help or the financial support until they can get on their feet or the marriage counseling. You know, you can say, I support all of that and I believe the government should pay for it. You know, and that's where I'd like to see, you know, but I don't believe in killing people. I mean, I think maybe you have to get to your own base thing or what aspect of the military that you don't support, you know, but you do, you know, you always support the human person and you never attack a person. You always keep the dialogue going, you know, you, you chat about it as much as you can, but there isn't any like one line. And so often those conversations, you don't have time to develop the conversation is the thing. It's like on the fly, you know, or they're going by or they just drop a comment and they really don't want to talk to you, frankly. Uh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, time.